this series, Money, 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 right? We're uh, talking about church finances and money, and we use this title because we just might as well get it out of the way. Some people are skeptical of churches and church finances either by uh, perception, which perception becomes reality, or because of something that happened uh, uh, way back when or here recently or whatever when it comes to church finances, or you see that see that guy at one o'clock in the morning because you can't sleep and the only thing that's on is that preaching guy ch- channel and like he's just saying you know god will uh god will bless you with 100 if you bless him with 10 and that sort of thing i sound like i just i feel like i just went out i'm good okay so um so we just might as uh, we just said might as well just uh uncover that can and, and and call this money 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 because people think this anyway and last week we saw the old testament system of tithing and tithing uh went to benefit three different types of people three different groups of people one benefit others when we tithe it benefits others uh first and foremost it, it, it benefited the levites or the priests uh in in that day the people that led them spiritually and then uh the widow the fatherless and the sojourner. And and Jesus in the New Testament uh, 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 made that group kind of bigger than that of the least of these. And so our tithe benefits others. Second, it benefits ourselves. That when we tithe, we get a benefit of, of joy through discipline. We get a benefit of personal wealth. I don't know how God has done this, but he has. Research, secular research has even shown that, 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 that being generous actually... Is, is, is correlated to gaining wealth. Like, how does that, does, does that work? I don't know, but it does. Now, again, this sounds like the $10, get the hunter back. No, no, it's not that. It's just, it's, just, it's just something that God has put in, in store, just like he's put gravity here on earth. Also, when we are generous, it adds to our personal health. That's to our personal health. Then lastly, lastly, it benefits the nations. When we tithe, it benefits the nations. Or everybody who, 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 who are not God's people, who are far from God, it benefits the nations. Now, when it comes to this study, there were actually, when, when, when I stepped into studying for this series, there were kind of some gaps in my mental thinking uh, when it came to the New Testament uh, system of giving and tithing and being generous and all of this. Like, there were some things that just didn't fit. But when I went back and studied the, the giving from beginning to end in the Bible, the gaps that I had in my mind were uh, about the New Testament system of giving were actually filled in when I understood the Old Testament better. Because the New Testament system of giving stands on top of the Old Testament. So when Paul wrote, and he didn't fill in all the blanks that we need to know about giving, it was because he had in his mind already that he was standing on the Old Testament system of giving that was already written down, so he didn't need to cover that part. And so when we look at the church and church finances today, it's like, okay, the church was mobile. They were underground. They met in homes. They didn't have a whole lot of what we would call as overhead right? They didn't have rent. They didn't have mortgages. They didn't have, as far as, you know, uh, church. They didn't have utilities. They met in homes. So is there anything in the New Testament that ties us back to the Old Testament, but also ties us into what we would now consider overhead 
in church. There is one such passage, 1 Corinthians 9. And the more I studied this passage, the more it became evident that Paul had in mind the three people that we talked about like yesterday. Others, ourselves, and the nations. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 9. Starting in verse 1. You can follow along in the Bible app. I, I highly encourage that. Save the event in the Bible app. You have to go and find events. Save the event in the Bible app. That way you can come back and get the study, Bible study guide. The New Testament generosity or giving uh, Bible study guide is longer than the one on the Old Testament. All right? But I wanted to give you everything that I was utilizing in my study um, uh, through, through this series because this is so misunderstood, this part of church. 1 Corinthians 9.1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. When Paul asks a succession of questions uh, very quickly, he's a little peeved. He's a little ticked. Something has happened that the Corinthians have, have, have asked him or said to him that makes him a little upset, a little hot underneath the collar, and he's dealing with this issue. My defense to those who examine me is this. Here's what's going on. Somebody in the church is examining Paul and saying, I'm not sure that he's an apostle. I'm not sure he's worthy to teach us. I'm not sure he's worthy of supporting financially. And Paul's like, let me just show you the ways. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers? Jesus had brothers when he was here on earth, brothers in his family. Mary and, 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 and Joseph had kids themselves. We know of two. James and Jude, who wrote New Testament uh, letters. And Cephas, or Peter. Apparently all these disciples, J Jesus' own brothers, and Peter had wives that accompanied them when they toured around. And apparently they've been to Corinth, and apparently the Corinthians actually gave them money for coming and teaching them. And Paul's like, I started the, I started the church. I showed up, there was no Christians in Corinth at all. And you're wanting to tell me that I'm not an apostle? I'm not worthy of you supporting? But you're willing to support these other guys? Really? Or do Barnabas and I alone have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war. Now, he's utilizing some, some what we would call marketplace illustrations. That everybody would say, well, of course. Whoever goes to war at his own expense? What soldier ever goes to war and says, oh, yeah, I'll pay for my own way to go to war? Those of you, those of you, Army, Navy, whatever, was, was that your attitude when you went, went off? I, I hear laughs. Okay, enough said. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Right? Everybody that works expects to earn a profit from their work, right? All of you, or most of you, will go to work tomorrow. 
and you expect a profit from your work, correct? Yes. Yes is the right answer there. And most of us, and most of us, we've got a really good gig. We do not have overhead. Right? We show up, we give of ourselves to our company or our school, our organization, and they give us a check. That is called 100% profit. That's a good gig. That's a really good gig. If you've got that gig going. If you're your own business owner, if you're, if you're a farmer or a land, land owner, you don't have that gig because you've got to buy stuff. And that comes out of your profit, right? That comes out of your profit margin. You have overhead. It comes out of your profit margin. But everybody that works expects a profit. Guess what? There's nothing wrong with expecting a profit from work. And this is what Paul is saying. Nothing wrong with it. In America, we kind of see, see it that way. Now, I, myself, and I, you know, me, myself, and I, I expect me to go to work and earn profit, right? But everybody else, they're greedy people who are expecting a profit, right? We see this all over the place. We see this all over the place. It's fine. For it is written, or does, uh, am I saying this from a human perspective? Verse 8. This is what he's saying. I, I, this is a marketplace example. This is what everybody understands about life. Doesn't the law also the same, say the same thing? See the brilliance of Paul? He starts with the marketplace example and then brings it into Scripture. For this is written in the law of Moses. Do not mu muzzle, put a muzzle on the mouth of an ox while it treads out grain. Okay? You take the muzzle off. Why? So as the ox is working, it can benefit from its work, right? Now, what does Paul say? Is God really concerned with oxen? Is he really concerned with oxen? Or isn't he really saying it for us? Yes, this is written for us. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should do so in hope of sharing the crop. He is saying the same thing, but saying, the law tells us it's okay to work for a profit. It's okay. It's fine. We allow the oxen to eat. So work for a profit. Now he brings us into the spiritual realm. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Skip the rest of verse 12. We'll come back to that. Verse 13. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? What's he doing? He's tapping into what we talked about last week. Now it's not just a biblical example towards just work in general. Now he's saying, look, the, God set it up that the Levites would, would earn a living from leading people spiritually and, and, and the people that they led would bring the offerings, the tithe, but also the animals that they sacrificed, the Levites got to take home once they were, they were done sacrificing, the Levites got to take home the meat so that they could eat the meat of the sacrifice as well. And this is still going on in that day, in Paul's day, in the temple and in the synagogues. This was common knowledge. He is standing on the Old Testament and utilizing the Old Testament and saying, this is still happening. And this should still happen in the church. Here's his thesis statement. In the same way, 
The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Maybe if you come in this morning and you're skeptical about church and some of it has to do with finances, you're like, <laughs> funny that you talk about this, Mr. Preacher. Understood, understood. But I also want you to see that it's in the Bible because some people will say, God doesn't tell us to pay preachers. The only, other thing, the only problem with that is what? The Bible. And for us to understand how to function as a church, we have to understand what the Bible says about finances because guess what? While we get a good deal on our rent, one dollar of utilities equals one dollar we got to pay, right? Money still pays for stuff in the church. I've heard of pastors going into Home Depot and going, you got a 10% pastor discount? Why? Why? Churches don't get discounts just because they're a church. Right? And what's interesting about the last verse that we just read, whenever we read the word Lord in the New Testament, it's not talking about God the Father. It's talking about God the Son, Jesus. We saw it twice in the Scriptures. The Lord's brother, brothers, right? Jesus' brothers, and now we see Jesus commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Jesus, we don't have this recorded in the gospels, that Jesus said this. So if you're like, I don't remember Jesus saying that. Well, he didn't. So then you're going, what's going on with Paul? Why is he saying this? Why is he saying that Jesus commanded it when he never said this? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He didn't obliterate the law a big difference there's a lot of christians today that want to obliterate the law that's old testament that's back then and then we do that with the, uh, the with the with the concept of giving as well that tithe thing that's the old testament jesus got rid of the old testament we live today in freedom well jesus said himself he fulfilled the law not obliterated the law there's a big difference okay you still need sacrifice in order to have your sins forgiven today. Still need sacrifice. The fulfillment of the law is that Jesus is that sacrifice, once and for all. What is obliterated, or what is dead from the law, is the animal sacrifice, right? Animal sacrifice. There are things, there are parts of the law that are fulfilled but continue. There's parts of the law that are fulfilled and they die. We have to have the wisdom to know which ones are which. Paul here is setting up the New Testament system of giving on top of the Old Testament system of giving. That when people gave to the priests, the priests then had to pay out of that the overhead for the people, for the building, for the salaries, etc. So as Paul's saying, your gift goes to benefit others. It benefits those who, who, who lead you spiritually. They're like, well, what about the widow and the fatherless and the sojourner? We'll look more into that next week, but Paul speaks a lot to that as well. In fact, he speaks more to that. But we'll look more into that next week. So it benefits others. But also, but also, 
Paul says in verse 12, we skipped over part of verse 12, so let's go back and read all of verse 12. If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? And then he says, however, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. So if you're like battling with me in your mind, of course the preacher's going to say this, and the next shoe that's going to drop is, I need a raise! Let's keep reading, all right? All right? He says, I did not make use of this right. Why? I didn't want to hinder the gospel. Paul was the first person, a lot of times the first Christian, into a city. And he said, ah, it's not exactly right for me to go, here's the gospel. Now five dollars, please. Right? Like, I think that's going to turn some people off to the gospel. So he said, I did not take on that right myself. And he continues in verse 15. But I have used none of these rights, and I have not written this to make it happen that way for me. The context is that he is defending his apostleship, not defending his right to money. For it would be better for me to die. How serious is he about this? It's better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. What boast do you have, Paul? For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because of an obligation is placed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The obligation is, what he's saying is that this gospel is in my bones. I will preach this if I get money or not. That is an obligation. It is a calling. I will do this no matter what. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if, I, if, I, if unwillingly, I am trusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward, right? If you're, Paul, 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 you're insane now, right? If your reward isn't earning money, then what is your reward, Paul? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my authority in the gospel. The first benefit was benefiting others, right? The third benefit was benefiting the nations, benefiting those who are far from God. Doesn't this sound like what Paul's doing? And what, what was the phrase that we used last week? We, as Christians, will give freely so that those far from God can come freely. Doesn't that sound like what Paul's saying? I will offer it free of charge. I will offer the gospel freely so that those far from God can come freely. So if you're here and you're skeptical about this church thing, you're skeptical about this God thing, you're skeptical about this Jesus thing, and the fact that I'm talking about money makes your palms sweat, don't worry. I'm not worried about your money. None of us are worried about your money. We're simply worried about you coming in, asking questions about Jesus, figuring out who Jesus is, and trusting in Jesus. And then one day, this clicks, and you go, oh, I get it now. I'm on this side now. And now I get to pay it forward. Now I get to give freely so that somebody who, was like, who, who is like I was can come freely. And that's for a day. For a day. For a day that's not today because we here at cross point 
We give freely so that you can come freely, so that you can hear the gospel. And practically what this looks like as a church is that all of our team leads are either part-time, receive a part-time salary or really part-time salary, or they volunteer. And they come on board knowing this, having this same attitude as Paul of saying, look, yes, I have to do other things to earn a living, but it's worth it. Because me not getting a full salary means more people can hear the gospel. And I believe moving forward, this is going to be the ultimate strategy of, 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 of our church. We may never have a full-time staff. That's fine with me. And I'm talking about myself, obviously, with full-time staff, right? I'm not full-time. Those of you that are new, new uh, I, I referee soccer. Not just kiddies, you know. A lot of times I say that and people imagine, you know, YMCA running around kicking me in the shins and stuff. No, adults kicking me in the shins, but it's a separate <laughs> deal. Or like this week, having to give a red card for MF, you know. So, like, yeah, that's fun. <clears throat> so, not towards me, towards another player. That's a whole lot better. Anyway, I digress, squirrel. Um, we all make livings otherwise, and you know what? I see that being an ultimate strategy of our church. Why? Because it's better to plant new churches. I know there's a desire, you know, when are we going to get our own building? When are we? I'd rather plant new churches. I'd rather plant new environments in areas that don't have the gospel fully. Wouldn't it be cool to rather than build our own building and suck expenses into, into a building? That we fully support a new environment and say, you go. You do what you need to do. And we'll support you. I'd love to see an environment downtown Springfield. Among the young adults and students down there that never, ever, may never be self-supporting. But we say we don't care about that. As a mother church, we do not care about that. We are your financial safety net. I moved back in 2011, uh, family, my wife and I and kids moved back in 2011. Every church downtown that had a chance to reach that generation has moved out. It's expensive. I think the primary reason is because they didn't have a mother church that said, we don't care if you ever become self-sufficient. We will support you because this is a good work among those who are far from Christ. What if a church said that? What if? Huh? I get on to my kids for saying what if. But I think that's a good what if. What if a church just never cares about itself primarily, but about reaching out and supporting that? And then lastly, benefiting ourselves. Can't you hear the joy in Paul's voice, written voice towards giving freely. It's like, I've got a reward. My reward is seeing people who are far from God get the chance to come freely. That's my reward. That's my joy. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says this about, about the Corinthians giving. 
you, y'all, is what that really means in southern, you know, Ozarkian, y'all will be enriched in every way for all generosity. Sounds a lot like what we read last week when, when God said in Malachi, test me. I want to bless you immeasurably if you're generous. Enrich you in every single way. It will benefit us to be generous. We know this. We love this story, right? This is written down in a story. A guy by the name of Charles Dickens wrote this story, right? Ebenezer Scrooge, anybody? We know that being generous benefits ourselves. But boy, it's hard. It's hard. We have to have a strong mission. We have to have a strong vision. Paul's vision, as we see in the next paragraph, was to place himself into the shoes of those who don't know Jesus. This is the, this is the next paragraph is the famous passage where he says, I become all things to all people. Essentially, he says, I put myself in the shoes of those who are far from God. And think of this in a way that, 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 that they would think of this. That's his vision. And it was strong. His mission, the paragraph after that, he said, I become self-disciplined. I become self-disciplined in order to make this happen. That's his mission. That's how he accomplishes his vision. It takes self-discipline to make this happen. But we'll find the freedom and the joy in being self-disciplined. We'll find the freedom and joy in being generous. The call to action is simple. For those of us that are followers of Christ, be generous first before. Be generous first before. It's not going to happen unless we're first before because if we get to the end of the month and we haven't given, we're going to look at the bank statement and go, I don't know if this is going to happen. Right? Been there. Done that. Got that worn out t-shirt. Be generous first before. And imagine, imagine a church. Man, we're well on our way. We've got generous people. Time and time again have stepped up and make sure that everything's provided for. But imagine a church that gets this. Gets this. How powerful they will be. Because what holds us back from really doing ministry? Money. We got the ideas. Ideas aren't hard to come up with. How are we going to fund it? And what if a church was sitting on piles of cash and they're waiting for the ideas? You're like, there's an opportunity over here to plant a church. Most churches are like, okay, let's go fundraise the money. Let's, go, let's fundraise the money. And we go, how much does it cost? All right, we can do that. We can do that. Imagine, imagine an international or, or local mission partner got in a crisis. How much is it going to cost? Church, other churches. Ah, let's see if we can fundraise the money. Us. How much is it going to cost? taken care of. Sure. 
Checks in the mail, literally. Checks in the mail. What if? That church is powerful, right? That thinks ahead, that plans, that's ready. That church is powerful. And we get the chance to be that church. Let's pray. And Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your giving to us. And I pray, Lord, that you will move. Continue to um, make us more and more and more generous. Myself, my family, all of us. Help us. Thank you, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. My prayer is that we do become as generous as possible. But the prayer is always going to be make me more generous, right? That's been my prayer for our family recently. and That's a prayer for this church. Just continue to make us more generous. Our heart is willing. Sometimes our hand is weak, right? In this time of worship, consider the one who gave all, the most generous of all. This one is the one who allows us to be generous in the first place. If you need to talk about this, Jesus, there'll be people around. I'll be over here now to um, because switch around. And if you need to talk with somebody, pray with somebody, there'll be people back in the back and over here that you can pray with and talk with. Otherwise, worship the one who gave all so that we could give some. Stand with us.